Again, welcome to our church. If you're a guest, welcome as we raise high the name of Jesus Christ today. Today I'd like you to take a few moments to consider the importance of a name. A name doesn't only identify who you are, it can identify what you represent. It can significantly affect your reputation, either bad or good. It might signify what region of the world you are from, or possibly even represent whom you admire when you name your children. It might even affect how you would be remembered, from the Hatfield to McCoys and the Rockefellers and the Kennedys. A name is very important. Infinitely more so is the name of God. Throughout Scripture, God has used a diversity of names to reveal himself. Names are used to denote his character, his power, and his nature. By reviewing names used in the Bible to refer to God, we discover they've become instrumental in our coming to know him personally. Concerning names for God in the Old Testament, what greater illustration is there in the modern era than Charlton Heston himself in the movie Moses, or the Ten Commandments where he portrayed Moses? If you remember, he was to go to the people of Israel, and he asked God, well, who should I say sent me? God says, tell them I am who I am sent you. I am is the Hebrew term Yahweh. Now it's commonly expressed as Jehovah. The name means self-existent. Thus it revealed to Israel that God was not dependent upon any outside force for sustenance. He's self-existent. This would have been important for Israel as they were going to trust in God and follow Moses as he led them out into the wilderness. God frequently reveals his character and nature by employing expressive names. Sometimes these are ascribed to him by individuals in the Bible. Other times, God names himself. Why? It's this diversity of names paints for us a picture of who Christ is, or who God is. For example, in Genesis 1.1 we find, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This term for God is Elohim. It means powerful and mighty. Here God is revealing himself to us as the powerful creator God. Then there's the name Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh was memorialized by Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 when he was to offer his son Isaac at Mount Moriah. It was during that test that Abraham learned that God is the God who will provide. As God provided a ram stuck in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac, the son of Abraham. Then there's Yahweh Roi. The Lord is my shepherd. We remember this from Psalm 23. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
This name is a result of God's revelation to David that David's role as a shepherd boy mirrored that of God to his people as a shepherd. So here we see just three examples of a myriad of names that describe, describe God throughout the Bible. They form this tapestry to understand our wonderful God who's created the world and redeemed to himself a people. But after completing now nearly three chapters of Colossians, it becomes abundantly clear that there is one name that rises above all other names. We learn in chapter 1 of Colossians that God's Son is the full manifestation of God in the flesh. Chapter 1 tells us that He is our King. He is our Redeemer. He is God's image. He is the agent of creation. And the Bible assures us that He is preeminent above all things. In the New Testament, we have been provided the final chapter now of God's biblical revelation of himself and his plan for redemption. Now God has not only revealed himself through names and prophets and miraculous acts to the nation of Israel, he has revealed himself through a person. That person is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 Verses 1 through 3 tell us, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. With the majesty of Christ now revealed, the Christian's life is largely devoted to bringing glory to his name. Paul had just told us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, that Christ is all and in all. The purpose for our life is to glorify Him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, we have our select text for today. It's only one verse, but it is a very powerful one. It says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. First, we notice this verse begins with the term, Whatever. Some versions say whatsoever. I preached a sermon in Texas late last year when for the first time I studied this word in depth. I'm not going to go into detail today, but let me briefly clarify that this word whatever is a significant word. In the Greek, it's a combination of four different Greek terms, and it literally encompasses everything. Not only does it represent what you are currently doing right now, it doesn't only represent what you plan to do tomorrow, it also represents any potential act that you might encounter in the future. Everything is supposed to be done in the name of Christ. 
With that in mind, let's first consider whatever we do in word. This command compels us to weave Jesus into our written communications and verbal speech as a testimony to him. Of course, this doesn't demand that we name Jesus in every sentence we speak or probably not every conversation we have. That might drive people away from Jesus. However, this verse would surely imply that people we converse with on a regular basis ought to know that we are loyally devoted to Jesus Christ. This is one reason our previous verse in Colossians, that'd be verse 16, demands that we let the word of Christ richly dwell in us. You remember that from last week. As we learn about Jesus through the Bible and through songs, it becomes much easier to weave an applicable verse or biblical principle into our private conversations. It's really not that difficult to turn even brief conversations into a spiritual discussion. The world's aching. We know that. Relationships are strained. All the lives around us are being turned upside down by disease and death. But Christians do not despair at the sight of disease and death. We know they are opportunities to magnify Jesus Christ. If life were not an utter disaster, why would people ever need to look for a resolution? But life is, and it brings disaster, and disasters provide opportunities for us to declare the remedy found only in the name of Jesus Christ. We ought to think for a moment, do we really think that anyone has it together? Those that we encounter and we share words with? Do you believe that any marriage is perfect? Or do you think any one that you encounter is completely satisfied? I'd say not a chance. Everyone stands on the constant brink of collapse in our society. doesn't matter how much money you have. Robin Williams... Kurt Cobain. Doesn't matter how talented you are, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley. Doesn't matter how beautiful you are either, Whitney Houston or even Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) There's no escaping the physical and emotional trauma that exists in sinful humanity. Everybody at some point of their life must ponder the eternal. They're going to be forced to formulate some kind of theology about what happens after you die. That means our society is, for the most part, open to spiritual conversation. This is the point where you and I come in with our words. We have the answers they hope for and they desperately need. At one point during his ministry, Jesus was asking some hard questions of the people that were following him. And some of them were growing frustrated because he wasn't turning to their way of doing ministry. At one point, a lot of people deserted Jesus Christ. Then he turned to his disciples, the twelve. And he asked them, This is in John chapter 6. 
He asked them, are you going to depart also? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. People of Port St. Lucie Bible Church, your neighbors, your friends, your family members are searching for answers. And if you are a Christian today, you have with you the words of eternal life to share with them. It isn't hard. Simple questions can bring about opportune times. You can ask, what do you think happens after you die? What do you think about Jesus? Are you afraid of dying? I remember asking my dad that once. There are all kinds of questions we can ask that will assess their disposition and possibly open up a spiritual dialogue. If, they, if you try a couple times and they just reject you and close you off, perhaps back off. Maybe the Holy Spirit isn't prompting them yet. But more often than not, I believe you will find that if you are polite, you're going to stimulate some interest. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Notice this text implies the validity of our testimony is affected by our gentleness and our reverence. We don't always have to clobber people. But everybody, even unbelievers, like to have what I would describe as a go-to guy or go-to girl. You know what I mean? If you have something you need done, if I have a broken window, I'm probably going to go to possibly Mark, Steve. They'd be my go-to guys for construction. They know what they're doing. If I want some help with my diet and what I should be eating, Kathleen would probably be my go-to girl. She knows about that stuff. Everybody has go-to guys and go-to girls. You ought to be everybody's, all your friends, go-to person for Jesus Christ. Because of the widespread biblical illiteracy that exists in our culture, everyone ought to be confident that you are the person that they can go to if they have questions about spiritual issues. Because you know your Bible, and because you're respectful of them, sooner or later they're going to ask. You ultimately discover they're probably even going to send you referrals because they consider you an expert in the field. They'll send people to you. You know what? I think that you should go ask such and such about this. They have a walk with the Lord. They talk about Jesus. The other thing that they'll notice is that you believe what you say. In your conversations, you represent the scriptures as being reliable. You don't have to be arrogant about it, but people sense whether or not you believe what it is you're telling them. You don't have to apologize for your faith. You just respectfully disagree. So our confidence is essential when we're naming the name of Jesus Christ. 
There are also other times when naming the name of Jesus is also essential. And Scripture would assert that would be during our spoken prayers. Christians know who God is. We don't pray to a generic or unknown God. God hasn't left himself ambiguous and misunderstood. Through the scriptures, his identity has became clear. Additionally, it's significant that the fact that Jesus himself makes it a condition of prayers being answered. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. In the name. Now we need to be careful here. At this point, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is going to be departing soon. And we don't want to imply that this promises God will answer any prayer. In the context of these passages, and as you read these chapters surrounding this text, it also says that we need to abide in Christ. And we need to ask according to his will. His will is to build his church. Unfortunately, his will is not to give me a Ferrari. I don't think. But when we're asking for his will, we are aligning ourselves to him. So when we pray, we're asking God for people to be saved. We're asking the church to be built. We're asking for Jesus to be magnified. We're asking him to work in our lives and help us to overcome sin. Jesus says, if you sincerely ask these things in my name, he will do them for us. That's God's will. Another passage in John 16 occurs as Jesus prepares his disciples for his crucifixion. In that day, he says, you will not be questioning, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name, Jesus says, ask and you will receive so that your may, joy may be, may be made full. We also have to add in other texts. Just popped in my head now as I was about to step up here, James, which would help explain this. James, and I believe chapter 4 says, You ask, yet you do not receive, because you ask with evil motives, so that you can, may spend it on pleasures for yourself. It explains a lot of what we're saying. We need to ask according to God's will. Why do we pray in his name? Because scripture assures us Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and there is also one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If we truly desire our sincere prayers to be answered, it would be prudent that we include his name in our prayers. This all exposes a serious cultural problem that we face today. In our society of tolerance, pressure is mounted for Christians to drop the name of Christ from public prayer. I encountered this while praying at the Capitol. I was encouraged that that wasn't appropriate to raise Jesus' name in mixed groups. Mixed groups. Believers, unbelievers. 
But this is unacceptable and unbiblical for the Christian. Paul and the other apostles always addressed mixed groups. There are nothing but mixed groups, believers and unbelievers. And we are to raise up the holy name of Jesus Christ in our prayer. It's essential for people to come to know him and to be saved. So it would be wise to heed these words of Christ from Matthew chapter 10 when interacting in public. Jesus said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I find it alarming, kind of amazing, how our culture will tolerate cursing the name of Jesus Christ all day long. But if you want to raise it up in a prayer, they scream bloody murder. We need to be courageous to call out that name. Continuing in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the text encourages us to ensure that not only our words but also our deeds or actions are done in the name of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago we learned in in chapter 3 of deeds that we're supposed to abstain from immorality, idolatry, slander, and stuff. Now the apostle reveals good deeds that we are encouraged to engage in. And that would include anything that can bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Most of us are probably aware that We're repeatedly advised in Scripture not to engage in deeds in any type of performance or in order for ourselves to be recognized. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus cautions, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do so, so that your left hand does not know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be done in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will give you a reward. We don't seek personal recognition for our good deeds. Of course, I'd say it's impossible to do some good deeds without being recognized in some way. How do you help someone change their faucet without them knowing it is you? That would be hard. However, Scripture says, whatever we do in word or deed is done in the name of Christ. So we don't do it in our name. We do it in His name. Even the little things. Look at... Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, We are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making a, an appeal through us. And it's this appeal. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that verse. God's making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Our goal in Christian service is to place ourselves in a position where we become a conduit where God works through us and is recognized for it. Again, we must do it by naming the name of Christ. 
Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but God who sent me. The principle even extends to those we personally give to. Listen to Mark chapter 9, verse 40. Jesus says, For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you, he's talking to the disciples, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, that person will not lose their reward. Like those who help the apostles, we are to support those who are bearing the name of Christ. Scripture says we'll be rewarded for it. This is why corporately, our church does not financially support relief agencies that do not name the name of Christ or spread the gospel. What purpose would that serve? People don't get saved by failing to hear about Jesus Christ. They don't come to know the Lord by not hearing the gospel. Any other gospel that does not name Jesus Christ is not a gospel at all. Galatians chapter 1 would identify that as a false gospel. There are many missions organizations across the globe, I'll add. In fact, I would say possibly the majority of them, relief agencies, they offer a lot of physical relief, but no spiritual relief, no spiritual reconciliation, no spiritual redemption. They may provide clothes, but not the gospel. People are proud to offer food and medicine and whatever is needed for temporal needs, but sometimes ashamed to mention Christ to meet their eternal need. To quote the late and great, I would say, preacher Adrian Rogers, he assures us that if someone gives clothes or food or relief supplies, yet refuses to name Jesus and proclaim the gospel, you have, according to Pastor Rogers, quote, simply made this world a more comfortable place for that person to go to hell from, unquote. In such a scenario, considering the vastness of eternity and the hell that they'll endure, combined with our unwillingness to intervene with the name of Christ, in the scope of things, we haven't done anything for them. You have to decide for yourself how you're going to apply these biblical principles. You can decide whether or not you want to draw people to the name of Jesus Christ through your resources and through your time. Or you can just invest all your time on a mimsy-flimsy social action group. What's important? Do you want to name the name of Jesus Christ and hear it, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do you want to meet temporal needs? I would say you can do both. I'll provide an illustration from my own personal experience. There's a worldwide relief organization that Rita and I financially supported many years ago, initially very early after becoming Christians. At that time, if I'm not mistaken... They at least kind of superficially identified themselves as Christian. Today, not as much. This week, in preparation for the sermon, 
I perused their website once again to see if they identified themselves in any way that would, uh, would signify Jesus Christ. I didn't find anything. Anyhow, they provide food to impoverished nations. So Rita and I decided to give for a time, and after about a year, as I was growing in Christ and starting to learn my Bible, I began to notice something significant. Whenever they would send literature to us, it would always have photos of malnourished people. They were emotional. They are prominent on the page that you would read. They'd tug on your heart. However, I began to realize in their communications that they never, ever mentioned that anyone was coming to know Jesus Christ through their efforts. In fact, telling people that they were sinners in need of a Savior wasn't even on their radar. You go to their mission statement and their vision statement, it wasn't anywhere to be found. I began to notice there's really nothing biblically Christian about them and they did not name the name of Jesus Christ. So we kind of quit giving. In contrast, there are relief organizations out there that do provide food and clothing and relief, but they also include what people desperately need, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is coincidence that I'm going to mention Samaritan Purse. I didn't know that that was being launched this week. That's the ministry with Franklin Graham that does Operation Christmas Child. That will be coming up soon now as you got in your uh, bulletin. They don't only provide children with relief supplies and helps and school supplies and all kinds of good things. They also include the gospel of Jesus Christ. Samaritan's Purse does this in all of their relief efforts. They don't give people supplies without them hearing about Jesus Christ. So we can do both. You don't have to do one or the other. Listen to these select texts, all from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it adds, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will the preachers preach unless they're sent? And that says it is written, How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of good things. Then it finally says, So faith comes through hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. The power is entirely in his name. Folks, we need to bear the name of Christ. We need to bear the truth of God's word in whatever reach we are involved with, whatever church we are attending. I have one more word of caution. You need to be discerning. There are groups that spread what they call the gospel. You'll come across them from, from time to time. And some of them will identify the gospel as this. They'll say on their website, Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a command. It's not the gospel. Others say that the gospel is providing benevolence to the poor. It's very important. 
It's not the gospel. Some define it as a political mechanism to bring social equality to everybody. Sounds nice. That's not the gospel. If you're going to join with a group organization, these are not the gospel. They're good things. The gospel magnifies Jesus Christ as Redeemer. What people ultimately need to be saved from is not primarily poverty, loneliness, or sickness. This church will surely attempt to alleviate those. But what they need to be saved from is eternal hell. They need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. They need to be redeemed. And that takes naming the name above all names. It takes proclaiming the gospel. The Apostle Paul gives us the most concise definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, you can mark that in your Bible if you so desire. Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, Most of all who remain alive until now, but some have fallen asleep or passed away, he says. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead and is seen by hundreds of people. That's really good news. It's extremely good news. This is a message that was carried by the apostles. We need to be very thankful that someone was courageous enough and had the tenacity to carry that message to us. We need to be courageous enough to carry it to others. The final exhortation in verse 17 is that we always give thanks through Jesus to God the Father. Should we pray? Lord, we are so grateful for the holy name of Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that this is the name that you've chosen us to be saved by, Lord. Pastor Weiler read at the beginning of the service, Acts 12, that says, There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, that is a powerful name. And it is a powerful work that Christ has done by dying for us, for shedding his blood for us, Lord God, for suffering on our behalf for sins that we committed, Lord, that we should have suffered for. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all he has done for us, all of your love, God, through your Son. Lord, I pray 
as we go out to our community, as we help alleviate suffering, Lord, as we show your love to a dying world, they will also have the courage to tell them about Jesus. They will also show them the love that you showed us through so many diverse paths. Through the preaching of the gospel, Lord, you've drawn us to yourself. And you've caused us through your Holy Spirit to have faith in the Holy One of God. Lord, I pray now if there's anyone here who has never understood that they were separated from you because of their sin. Lord, and they never knew that Jesus had died personally for them, that you'd do a marvelous work right now in convicting them in their heart and drawing them to you. Lord, pray that you would do a work of salvation today among us here and that you would help us to take that message to all of those who are around us, our family, our friends, and our neighbors. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.